Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome back, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got Sergio Mora, the former junior middleweight champion, DAZN broadcaster. We are both in Fort Worth, Texas for the Virgil Ortiz-Maurice Hooker fight. We talk about that. We look back on the fight last weekend between Roman Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. A controversial ending there. We discuss that. Plus, Archer Betterbiev wants to fight Canelo? Is that a good idea for Canelo? Talk about that much more with Sergio Mora. A little bit later on, Gareth A. Davies, British boxing journalist at The Telegraph and Talk Sport. There was some news this week with Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury reportedly signing an agreement to face each other at some point this year. How big a deal is that? When will we learn the site and the date? And how far down the line might the promoters of this event push it to try to get the biggest possible crowd or maximize their investment. Gareth and I discussed that from all angles a little bit later in the show. Finally, Oscar De La Hoya, the Golden Boy, the CEO of Golden Boy Promotions. He is in to discuss Ortiz and Hooker, his plans for Virgil Ortiz, his plans for Ryan Garcia, who does not have an official fight yet after his big knockout win back in early January. And can we still expect to see Oscar De La Hoya, former champion, back in the ring once again? Oscar updates us on his plans on the show. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, best way to support it, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? All the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, this week's episode is brought to you by Snakeware. Were you a fringe middleweight contender? Did you win a title at junior middleweight only to lose it three months later? Does Daniel Jacobs kick your ass on a regular basis? If so, you need to wear Snakeware, available available at every East LA 7-Eleven. I forgot your shirt. It's in my room. But yes, I got you a shirt uh, from Snakeware, and you're going to wear it. This is the only way I agree to do this uh, podcast. 
Sergio Mora is here, junior middleweight champion, zone broadcaster. Back you can't, together. You can't get enough of me, Maddox. You cannot get enough of me. Two times in one week, either nobody wants to be on your podcast or I'm that good. Well, I, I'm. it takes so long to get you to commit to doing these things. Like, you are literally two doors down, and it took 90 minutes for me to get you to come over here and tape this. I had no clothes on, man. I put my clothes on. I'm here. Right now, you look like you're wearing your son's clothes right well, now. Well, I got the fastest thing I could. Come on, man. Let's talk boxing. All right. Let's talk boxing, man. Um, we're here for the Virgil ortiz Mohooker fight this weekend. But before we get into that, last weekend, we had a great fight with Chocolatito Estrada, Chocolatito Gonzalez, and Juan Francisco Estrada. 115-pound uh, title unification fight. And the fight lived up to its expectations, back and forth, uh, good action. The end result, unfortunately, something we see in boxing all too often, where Judge Carlos Sucre scored the fight 117-111 for Juan Francisco Estrada. That's a scorecard I don't think anyone can reasonably say was correct. Sucre scored the last five rounds of that fight for Estrada, which was mind-boggling. There were at least two or three of those rounds that were pretty clear Chocolatito rounds. Um, let's start with the performance, Sergio, of Gonzalez. Uh, how impressed were you by what you saw from the 33-year-old fighter in the rematch against Estrada that was eight years in the making? First of all, it's Chocolatito, not Chocolatito, so okay. let's correct that if you're going to have a Latino on your podcast, Chocolatito. Yeah, we do this all the time. And this, Carlos Sucre, 117-110, uh, because you know my math. What is that, nine rounds to three? Nine-three, yes. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's unforgivable. That's, that's something that should be looked into as criminal. And I think it borderlines him because what was he seeing? He got suspended. He got hopefully fined. And hopefully we never see him in a big fight again because that was that was a slap in everyone's face and not only the the two fighters but everyone watching. Now, how did I see it? I thought Estrada was boxing brilliantly uh, the first half of the fight. I think he was he came out more aggressive than the first fight. You know, in the first fight he was on his back foot and you know by a couple rounds in Chocolatito was getting getting him against the ropes. Not this fight. Most of the fight was fought in the middle of the ring. Both of them did their share of being the aggressor and coming forward, which was impressive because I just expected Chocolatito for 12 rounds going one way, which is what we know. Estrada started strong. He started backing up Chocolatito, and it was a it was just a a, a, a beautiful execution, a boxer puncher for Estrada and Chocolatito. He didn't he didn't get as aggressive as he as he did when he was you know younger in his heyday but he was smarter he picked his shots uh, uh, a lot more intelligently and um he he didn't have to go one way he showed that he can back up and box behind a jab as well and then you know pick his spots it was a great fight but it was hard and because of that here's my point because of that it was hard to judge if it would have just been one direction, Chocolatito coming one way, blah, 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 the judges would have had it easier. Like, oh, well, Chocolatito went one direction. He threw, a, you know, he, he threw more punches. Real easy. But because he boxed a little bit, we saw different different uh, facets of his game. The judges weren't accustomed to that, and I think that the, the, they just didn't score the fight like they should have. Yeah, see, it, there were a couple of rounds that were tough to score, but I was scoring it from ringside, and I had it 16-12 for, for Gonzalez. And... I just don't know how you get to 9-3 in favor of Estrada. I don't know where those rounds come from. Like, just take, for example, the 12th round. I thought that was a pretty clear Gonzalez round. 
And Sucre was one of the rounds he scored it for Estrada, which it makes me wonder what the thought process is there. When you see something like that happen as, as a fighter, do you think incompetence or do you think corruption? No, the first thing that comes to my mind as a fighter, I think about this is ridiculous. I feel bad for whoever I thought won the fight. And I thought, you know, it's a huge moment for whoever the other fighter is. Anytime a fighter is happy with a draw or agrees that it's a draw, he knows he lost. That's just, I've had two draws and I could tell you that's how they feel. They got away with them. Oof, I got away with that one. Um, so I can't, I can't tell you how I had it. I, I stopped scoring the last two rounds when I was actually there. But I went back and watched it and I had Chocolatito by one round. By one round. But there was three rounds I couldn't give either way. So that's where, the, that's where it comes in question. I could easily give those other three rounds to Chocolatito and then I can be, you know, uh, uh, eight, four round. But they're up in the or air. Or go the man. other way and go like one but judge had it, five, I, no, no, three. No, here's yeah. the thing. I, didn't, I couldn't give it to Estrada. I can make it a draw. So the worst that the worst for for Chocolatito was a draw in my opinion. But do you think that I mean do you think the the judge just sucks at his job or do you think that there's something underhanded going on? I just think this I mean if you look into his uh his background and and what fights that he judged maybe you can see that he maybe appreciates boxers that you know guys that are on the back foot and the clean punches and not the aggressor that throws more punches. So maybe he's He just, does. No, look, and I said that during our He's our, one of, he's one of these judges that appreciates styles like mine, Mannix. So you would have done well with Carlos Chocolatito. I would have won every single <laughs> round in <laughs> front of scorecard. One. I feel bad for Gonzalez in the sense that and Lou DiBella was talking to me about this on Sunday, where that may have been the last best performance of this fighter. Like, maybe he comes back and has a third fight with Estrada and performs just as well, but you could easily see this being just kind of his last stand. Like, I'm going to lay it all out there before I get old in the ring. And if that's the case, it's a tough way to go out. Not the first time he's gone out like that either. Like, he's 0-2 officially against Teresa Katsurungvisai, but he probably should be 1-1 because I thought he won that first fight against Rungvisai. Uh, this one was even more clear that he should earn the decision. And, you know, we, we can sit here and say, like, well, we'll always talk about this being a fight Chocolatito was robbed in. But we won't. We won't talk about that because eventually time, too much time will pass and it will be, well, Gonzalez has X number of losses on his resume. We won't dig into the weeds enough to say that this was a fight he got robbed in. So it's just you really feel bad for Gonzalez in a moment like this. You feel bad for any fighter, but the higher the the higher the platform, the higher the, the, the risks, and and that's when you start feeling bad for a fighter because it not only does it blemish his 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 record, and not only did he put all that time in training, and and it all goes it didn't go your way, it's just the fans get robbed too, man. I mean, it, the fans feel like they're here, they're there to support one person, and whether it's a Strato Chocolatito, if their fighter deserved to win and they didn't get it. Everybody gets robbed, man. Everyone gets robbed out of the joy of what they saw. And that's the problem. Everything else that you just talked about, yeah, that's that comes second to how I feel about, you know, because I've been on that that end of, I won that fight. Every fighter has. It, it sticks with you for life, Mannix, for life, you think about it. So that's what I feel bad about. So if you were Gonzalo, or sorry, if you were Estrada, would you drop the WBC title and face gonzalez for the third time for just the wba belt or would you keep the title face so rung and hope that a gonzalez fight can happen in 2022 no way his look he needs to go back and fight chocolatito not only because 
of all the the controversy and everything that everyone's saying and the backlash for him but so Rungvisai might beat him and ruin a trilogy uh or, or whatever the case is i just don't want any kind of risks so Rungvisai is an excellent fighter i mean i would love to see him fight you know uh someone else maybe even estrada after this but for right now Let's get back into this Chocolatito trilogy. We don't want to wait eight months. I mean, we don't want to wait eight years, not eight months, maybe. That's it. Well, what you could do is just drop the belt, have Sorong Vasai fight someone like Carlos Quadras, and fighters then have the winners fight each other. Fighters don't like dropping belts, man. They, they earned them. We, we, got their, we, we, we got to this position to get belts and money. Well, and you asked well, us I mean, to you, drop one money, of them. Money can talk. I mean, you, you literally just said that the only way that he can get Gonzalez in a rematch right away is if he drops the belt. That's the only way Estrada gets it because Sorong Vasai has an agreement to get the opportunity to fight for the WBC title. So what is it? I thought you were talking about drop the belt and fight Sorong Vasai. No, you fight Sorong Vasai uh, and keep the belt. You drop it. the belt and you fight Gonzalez just for the WBA title. Fight Gonzalez. So drop that, the belt. I mean, yeah, drop the belt. Drop that belt because the I mean the trilogy, that's their belt. That's That's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for legacy, you know, so it's pretty much one Plus, they're one. fighting for money. Like, it's you know, one, there's way more and money. And they're fighting for money. Chocolatito got a million dollars for that fight. And Estrada's Estrada probably, probably just below that. You can probably get close to that in uh-huh. this uh, third fight, depending on what the numbers look like um, from viewership. But I, there's way more money in that. Like, we, you called. We both called the Estrada Sorong Vasai fight back in 2019. There wasn't a lot of drama to that. Like, Estrada won pretty clearly in my mind. So I don't know that there's a real... In general interest in seeing a third fight between those two. Yeah, I agree. And I think Estrada's a, one of the best boxer punchers in boxing right now. I love that fight with Sorong Visay. Uh, me and Brian Kenny did, actually. Mannix, you're the only one that seems to... Was I not on that? I was on that. I was you there were for that. On, you were yes. on that, yeah. But it was me and Brian praising his, you know, telling you all how beautiful it was. How the hell watching. do you remember what I was saying? I forget what you say. Then what is the... What are you talking about? But I about? watch my telecasts. I replay. Yeah, because you're so you. vain, and you, you want to hear yourself think talk. This podcast about you. <laughs> so annoying. All right, let's also talk about what we're here to watch this weekend. Virgil Ortiz, Mari Sucker. I love this fight. Love it in the exact same way I love Ryan Garcia versus Luke Campbell, where you have one guy, the promising prospect. Virgil Ortiz was the consensus 2019 prospect of the year versus Mari Sucker, who is. Probably a better version of Luke Campbell. He's got a world title. He's comfortable physically in this weight class. You saw them at the press conference earlier this week, standing face-to-face. Hooker's bigger. Like, he's a couple inches bigger, it looks like, than Virgil Ortiz and has had a lot of good power at 140 pounds. What do you make of this fight? Hooker's not bigger. He's taller. Taller. Uh, That's it, because Virgil Ortiz is a really big 140-pounder, but he's not as lanky as Hooker. No, no, but it's a fantastic matchup. I'm looking forward to this. A former champion versus a guy who's knocked out everybody uh, he's faced. But the style matchup is why we should be excited, because Hooker, even in losing with, uh, with Ramirez, it was a firefight. It was fight of the year type, and it was close. It was a close fight before he got stopped. You know, Ramirez was probably ahead, but Hooker was, you know, he probably won two, three rounds in what, six-round fight, seven? It was a great fight. Um, I think we're going to see something similar with Ortiz. I don't think it goes into the second half of the fight. I don't think Hooker, if he plans to use that 80-inch reach advantage, I don't think he's going to be able to do it for 12 rounds. But he has the power to also stop Ortiz. So he has that lanky power. He has the boxing ability. 
Yeah, it, it's it's something that I don't know who wins this fight. Of course, we, we're going to favor Ortiz because of the power and his streak and, and everything else. But Hooker is with a new trainer. He's training along Terrence Crawford. They have... They have probably the best the best camp that they could possibly have as far as motivation goes, you know, and um, that's what fighters need in order to win these big fights. And I think the motivation's there, the team is there. Maybe it's the time is right, and they're both fighting in their hometown. Mannix, no one likes food losing in their hometown. They're all gonna have uh, a lot of fans in in the stands, so it's gonna be explosive. Do you have any questions? about Ortiz at this point. He is undefeated. He has knocked out every one of his opponents. He looks like the real deal. Yes, and I say it every telecast. I am wondering, I'm curious to see how Ortiz fights into the second half of the fight because every puncher is a beast in the first six half rounds. So I want to see how he's going to react when he when his legs are a little tired, when his punches don't have as much a pop like they did in the first half of the fight uh that's that's all i'm curious about but i am curious about how he performs in the second half of the fight with a former champion he's had prospects he's had up and comers he's beat the guys he's had to beat he's knocked out guys who's never been knocked out but how does he do against a former champion so he's 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 escalating exactly the way they need to move his career so now he's he's probably at the last the last, uh, uh, um, I guess, square in the box before he gets to the big names and the big money. Yeah, he's been, I think, moved and matched really well with, you know, durable guys like Mauricio Herrera, uh, a guy mover in the ring like a Brad Solomon, a former title challenger like Antonio Orozco. So he has checked a lot of boxes, as you say, along the way. Hooker, my question about Hooker is how good is he really, right? Because his two best wins... One was against Terry Flanagan, where he went on the road and did a nice job, you know, beating Flanagan in his hometown, home country anyway. Uh, and then he beats Alex Sacedo to, uh, to, to to win his piece of the title, defend his piece of the title uh, a couple of years back. Th- those are good wins. Are they great wins, though? So that, that's my question. Like, Hooker, he linked up with Brian McIntyre. I think that's going to help him. It has helped him. He's part of Team Crawford now, uh, you know, fighting out of the Midwest. I just, I have my questions about how good Maurice Hooker really is this will be this will be as much a test for hooker showing me what he has than it is as it is for virgil ortiz well that goes to show you how special uh virgil ortiz is ortiz is is not even a top contender he's he's knocked out everybody and everyone's you know infatuated and in love with power but virgil ortiz still asks questions he's still not even like an official top contender he's just exciting to watch so if maurice hooker who's a former champion if that's going to satisfy you a former champion beating being a a a, a a contender is that that's gonna really gonna answer your questions i see the potential in hooker i see what he can do i see why he's difficult because he fights like a tall guy but he has the ability of the inside fighting the combinations he impresses me did he you like what, did you like what you saw from hooker in the ramirez fight before he got knocked out absolutely yeah man that's why i'm excited i thought he was fighting the right fight he just got on he just stayed on the ropes a little bit too long and that's what they were yelling about in the corner I think it was Vincent Parra, his trainer, I believe his name was, mm. yelling, this is what we train for. Keep the fight on the middle of the ring. Keep the fight behind the jab. Anytime he did that, the combinations were flowing, and he was great, and then finally just stayed against the ropes, ropes a little bit too long, then he came out and got caught in between a shot. Happens to everybody, but, um, yeah, against Virgil Ortiz, it's, it's, it's just going to be a totally different story because he's going to have to fight that young beast off him. There's a lot fight. of talk about... Virgil Ortiz versus Terrence Crawford if Ortiz comes through this fight unscathed. Uh, Ortiz is still very young in his early 20s. Crawford, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the sport. Uh, If you were Virgil Ortiz, would you want that fight next? 
If I was Virgil Ortiz, I would want the best fighter I could possibly be in the ring with. That's Terrence Crawford. Yeah. If I was Virgil Ortiz's management and team and coach and everyone that's in charge of his career, I would want someone a little less than that. I would want someone that's going to pay well and someone that we're going to be able to handle. That's what I would want to yeah, do. Yeah, but fighters I, I, nowadays I aren't doing th- that. I wouldn't want to think about longevity, not the quick price. Okay, but th- this is like the argument we have all the time. I know we do, and that's what we're having it again. Do you Vir- think Virgil Ortiz should Where would Teofimo Lopez be if he didn't take Virgil on the big Ortiz challenge? Virgil Ortiz should want to fight King Kong and Skull Island. Yes. But it's up to those I scientists. Think you, I don't think you can fight Skull it's Island. Up it's up to those scientists Island. or those doctors that took him to that island to stop King Kong. What the hell are you talking about? I have no idea. But you know what I'm trying to say. No, I have. I honestly have no idea what it's, you're trying it's to say. Up to you Bert- want to see him fight King Kong. I get that. You think his management and his promoter should slow him go. down a little bit. Right. I disagree. And Teofimo Lopez proved that if you take on, you know, the... Teofimo is one of those special fighters. That's why that's what, what he did. So you don't think Virgil Ortiz is a special was, fighter? We need to find out. So, we, so we should Hooker. fight Terrence Crawford. Depends how he looks with Hooker. How about if he goes the distance with Hooker? He's the first one to do that, which would be impressive you know, uh, for Hooker. But how about if it's a close fight? More impressive. How about if Hooker wins? Holy, he wasn't ready for this. Well, yeah, if Hooker wins, he's not fighting Terrence Crawford. Then you're no, talking all, about... All I'm saying, even if he, even if, uh, even if he looks... Virgil Ortiz looks good winning, but in a tough fight or he got cut or he got dropped, it's still not a good look and he's still not ready for a Terrence Crawford. I say... Maybe another two fights. Or if he looks really great against Hooker, gets a stoppage and it's sensational, get your money, kid. I think the question is, would Crawford want to fight him? There's not a lot of reward and a lot of risk, especially if Hooker, if, uh, sorry, Ortiz blows out Hooker. I mean, I guess there's like a revenge factor too because they're stable mates, Hooker and Crawford. But if you're Terrence Crawford, do you look at that fight and go, you know what, let's build him up a little bit more to maybe make it a bigger fight before I get in the ring with them. Every champion, especially on Crawford's level, doesn't want to fight high risk, no reward. So, of course, he's going to say something like, let him get a couple wins and come back and, and find me. But, yeah, that's business. You want the the big names because they bring the big money. All right, let me throw one more thing at you. Archer Betterbiev fights this weekend uh, defending his light heavyweight titles. Betterbiev said this week that he would be absolutely willing to face Canelo Alvarez at some point down the line. You know, Canelo jumped up to light heavyweight last year to face Sergey Kovalev and knocked him out. But it's a different thing to face a faded ex-champion in Kovalev, or I guess current champion at that time in Kovalev, versus Betterbiev, who's widely regarded as the biggest hitter in the 175-pound division. What do you think of that idea? It wouldn't happen this year, of course, because Canelo is on path to uh, winning the undisputed uh, super middleweight championship. And of course, Betterbiev, he's going to have to face Joe Smith. He's probably going to have to face Dimitri Bivol. But if both guys wind up as undisputed champs at 168 and 175, should Canelo jump up and face him at 175? If Canelo collects all the belts at 168 and he accomplishes what he wants to do, become the first Mexican undisputed super middleweight champion. Actually, the first, I think, undisputed. First undisputed super yeah, middleweight champion. Four belt area. Uh-huh. So he wants, that, he wants that, that record. He wants that legacy. Then I think he's going to have no choice but to move up to 175 once again and fight someone in, in their prime. Because like you said, Kovalev had a belt, but he's already been, had been knocked out. Once a fighter gets knocked out like that, you know, he has his lifestyle outside the ring that you know, he's, he's, uh, he's guilty of, um, fluctuating in weight. You know, that's a calculated risk for Canelo. Um, I think if he's going to face a better Biv, it's going to be after a Joe Smith fight or after a, a fight that takes something out of him, you know, physically. 
Uh, I'm not could, sure Better could, BF he could get, still be undefeated. I'm not sure Better BF gets past Bevel anyway. So like if they, I was about to talk about Bevel. Yeah. So no matter who he fights to unify, it's going to be a physical fight. Mm. It's going to be a physical fight with a power puncher that that's going to come one way. So it's going to. Well, Bevel might not be though. Like Bevel's not really this colossal dude, puncher. Dude, he's a colossal puncher. Of he's course, a good he's a, puncher. He hasn't knocked anyone out in what, three, four fights, but that, that he was knocking out everyone before that. That happens once you start fight facing well, yeah, better and, opposition. So he's probably not going to knock out Canelo because you know Canelo's a pretty great defensive fighter. Oh no, pro- probably not. And Bevel is an excellent boxer as well. So it's not just like he's a one-sided fighter. Beater better be on the other hand. We haven't seen him, you know, having to box off the the back foot. So maybe maybe saw him get knocked down by Callum Johnson. Once. Yeah, but that but was... he st- but he still went the the exact same way afterwards. You know, going forward, same mentality. Do you don't uh, think better be is too big for him then? No, I don't think it's too big for him. I think Canelo has put on the the, the muscle weight, not just like the. Uh, not just regular weight. So he grew into it slowly. He, it's not like he, he just went straight to 175, I mean 168 and then 175. He's building that muscle and he's testing himself along the way. I think Canelo's the type of guy that, like let's say, for example, Alexander Usyk wins the heavyweight championship. I could see Canelo jumping up to heavyweight to fight Usyk. Like, I, I mean, I think, I think he's, over the next few years, he's going to dare to be great at some point in some just absurd way. Like, whether it's going for light... Like, put it this way, and this is thinking way down the line. If Canelo wins the undisputed light heavyweight championship, and there's a small-ish guy with a heavyweight title, he's going to fight him. Like, he, it might be a bad idea, but, like, Canelo Usyk is not outside of the realm of possibility. I think you're nuts. Have you ever stood a, yes. a, a, around Usyk? Yes. He's like six foot three. He's six three. Yeah, he's, he's, he's tall my height. Even and he's big and he's a badass and he knows and and he knows how to box. He's a that I mean he's a he's everything that Canelo doesn't want to face. Big, strong puncher, heavyweight, gold medalist, champion. No, come on now. Not, I wouldn't call him a huge puncher though. If he's fighting a, a light heavyweight, he is, especially a guy that came up to you know. From 145 like Canelo. You can't grow into that type of weight. You can grow muscle up into like a certain amount. And then after that, it's just you're biting too much. Usyk's six foot three. Better BF's about six feet. I've I, been around Better BF and I've been around Usyk. Usyk looks bigger. He is bigger. I mean, but he looks bigger, like mass. I'm just saying, this is like the whole Andre Ward discussion. Remember when Andre Ward was talking about moving up to heavyweight to fight one of the top guys? And he's at a one southpaw. Point. I'm just remembering. And he's a southpaw. Whew. Can you imagine a, a, a six foot three at Islandi Lara? Could you imagine Come on, what could you man. imagine what Canelo's legacy? I'm gonna slap you, man. What would Canelo's you're, legacy you're, hold on? Dude, what would Canelo's a, legacy be if he moved up to heavyweight? I'm gonna slap you for even having this discussion. I'm not gonna talk about it anymore because it's just it's silly. There's another word for it. I just can't think about if it right you were now. Acted it's today, ridiculous. If you were acted today, you'd be 80 and 0, I think, with no signature wins because you would just want to fight these guys that are level below. But I'll you. be undefeated getting paid. All right, would you go put some pants on, please? When we come back, my conversation with Gareth A. Davies. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have ticked it off? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what so. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, some big news in the boxing world this weekend, or at least it sounded like big news. Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua agreements have been signed, according to Eddie Hearn, to talk about what that means, let's bring in Gareth A. Davies, longtime boxing journalist, The Telegraph, Talk Sport. You can see him right here on zone. So, Gareth, I mean, it sounds like a big deal, but is it a big deal that we have signed contracts between Fury and AJ? Hello, Chris. How are you? Um, Wonderful. Yes. Um, um, well, look, <clears throat> Eddie Hearns, you know, taking a stab in the dark in a way by saying, look, I want to put it out there that... They have signed for the fight. We knew this last June in many ways. We've known this for like eight months, but it's putting a a rubber stamp on the fact that they're going out to to tender bids now from other countries. They've got 30 days, they're saying, from this point. My understanding is from the likes of Top Rank and the fighters. They want the fight signed. The venue and the date has to be decided in the next 30 days all the fights off. So we had that big story, as you say, last week that the fight signed, but there's no date and there's no venue. And as you know, as well as I do, that means the fight ain't made yet. And, but I think what it does, I just think it puts a little bit of pressure on everyone to get moving a little bit, you know, otherwise we'll have a story in three and a half weeks, you know, blockbuster, 400 million, half a billion dollar, uh, mega fight collapses. Um, so they've got to get down to the nitty gritty and sort it all out now. I still think they've got a very strong bid to come in from Saudi Arabia. I still think it's going there. Um, they've been there before with Joshua and Ruiz. 
I think Hearn's revealed, hasn't he, that they are already talking to the sites and have been for two weeks. So, you know, if a big £120 million deal comes in from Saudi and they want to do it again, fingers crossed, we're away with it. But, you know, it's going to be tenterhooks for 30 days, really. Yeah, um, it's great news that two fighters have agreed to a deal, but I'm with you. Until there is a site and a date, we're not, we're not there or we're not really even close to being there. I mean, we're talking about, as you kind of point out, a seven-figure site fee, probably the biggest site fee, definitely the biggest site fee in the history of boxing where you're uh, you know, putting, getting a ton of money out there. And it might take some time to get the best offer. And that's what you're looking out for if you're Eddie Hearn, if you're MTK, if you're Bob Arum. Get the best offer that's on the table. And th that's my next question. I mean, you know, they're talking about the summertime, Gareth. My sense is that it may not be until September until we get this first fight because it's just going to take that long not only to get the deal done with the site, but then, you know, we all hope that this global pandemic is going to be over by the early summer, but there's no guarantee of that. And yeah. the longer that a site and these promoters can kick the can down the road, the more likely it is you can get a full stadium or wherever you're going to be holding it. And the country that is effectively buying the fight is going to be able to get some of its money back. So like, I, I think the fight is going to happen, obviously, at some point. But I think the date is probably looking more and more like September or later. Yeah, absolutely. You said seven-figure deal there. It's going to be a nine-figure deal, isn't it? Nine-figure, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, but yeah, I mean... Seven-figures will be low. Nice and low. That, that, seven but, but the thing is this. At the moment, it's that, it's that situation where that beautiful woman passes you and she always says hello. And she always says hi to you and she gives you a little wink. And she gives you, you a little twirl as she goes by. But you never set the date and you never set the time and you never set where you're going to meet. So at the moment, it's just ships passing in the night. I've got a, I, I don't disagree with your theory that it might go very late in the summer either. Um, if they can get it on the table and Fury can accept being out for 21 months and he'll do it, fine. But, you know, the closer we get to this, the more... It, there's more possibility of it happening. I've got the feeling that if Fury wins, there won't be a second fight. He'll just go, bye-bye, babies. I'm the undisputed king. I was never beaten. I won all the belts. I'm the linear champion. Um, I'm going to go and buy a big castle somewhere in Scotland and have 10 kids for a while. Call me back later when the next lot have come up. And he'll just tease Joshua from afar. Whereas I think if Fury loses in the first fight, we're much more likely to get the second fight. I don't know if you agree with that. You know, Fury's so unpredictable. Um, right now, he seems like a guy that wants to be active. So, you know, depending on how the fight ends, if he wins close, if it's a considered a, quote, robbery on a judge's scorecard, like we saw with Chocolatito this past weekend, um, even if he wins, I could see him coming back. But he's he's a wild card, that's for sure. And I do think that this announcement was, in a way, made to counter the comments that Tyson Fury made last Friday, where Fury yeah. said, "I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm done with training. I'm, I'm out. You know, I don't know when this fight's going to happen." And I think that publicly, whether it was Eddie Hearn or, or other people involved, 
they wanted to let the world know that no, this the ball is is rolling here still uh, with this fight. That that's my question for you about Fury. It is going to be an awfully long time that he's off whenever this fight happens. Uh, how big a role do you think that's going to play? I mean, he has been in training for for the most part, but you know, AJ fought last December. He'll have a fight within a calendar year, certainly, of of this fight happening. Whereas Fury, you're talking. You know, it's almost two years in a way that, that this fight would uh, take place. Well, that period of inactivity will definitely play a massive role, certainly in all of our debates, because we've seen it over the last year with COVID, the 12, last 12 months, that inactivity has affected a lot of champions, a very, very good fighters. I think Vasyl Lomachenko was affected by it. He, lo- he just didn't look right. And not only that, some of those great fighters haven't responded in the same way when they're not in front of a big crowd. Fury's a showman and an entertainer. So, and he's been in the gym all this time. Um, he fights like he does. <clears throat> Anthony Joshua has got a bit, <clears throat> excuse me, has got a little bit more momentum um, and has had that run out, but maybe has also shown that he's looking to work a fight behind the jab for a bit longer now and, so, and I think Fury will have taken something from that. I, I think, I don't think when they step into a ring, I think there may be a little bit of rust. Who knows? Fury might jump on Joshua. You never know. You use the word unpredictable. He's an enigma. It's the perfect description for him. Um, you know, so I don't think it will affect them because Fury will fight how Fury fights. It's just that sharpness. He may not have a sharpness that he's always had, but I speak to people like Ben Davison who know him well, and they say when he's got his back against the wall and he's preparing for someone and he's got to be at his best, that's the best Tyson Fury you get in camp and therefore the best Tyson Fury you get out when he performed, like he did in the two Wilder fights, like he did in, with Klitschko when we were there you know, six years ago. Something major on the line, that, that, that fear factor, if you like. He doesn't call it fear, but a fear factor that will get the best out of him. I still think he goes into the fight as the favorite. But as we've said many times, Anthony Joshua, if he manages to clip you and hurts you, he's one of the best finishers we've ever seen because he's so devastating. But I think he's a bit more predictable in what he's going to do than Fury is. Let me finish with this. You mentioned Saudi Arabia as being the favorite. Do you think that's just a <clears> foregone <throat> conclusion at this point? Do you think the UK could get in the mix? Do you think the US could get in the mix? Or do you think that we're headed to the Middle East? If we can get into the Raiders Stadium and get, you know, a mega crowd there and it opens up completely, I could see it going to Vegas. But I think the site fee that is potentially available, the amount of money that will be stockpiled under it to create the great fire is going to come from the Middle East. And they will go for money on this fight because it's going to be four broadcasters involved, um, multiple promoters, the two biggest men in the world fighting each other in the Blue Ribbon division. For what I think is still, regardless of Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders fighting, regardless of Canelo, is still the richest prize in sport for me. It still resonates globally more than Canelo does, even though he's a massive star in America, um, South America, Latin America, Mexico. He's a massive star. Um, and in Europe, to a certain extent. You could put Canelo on in Wembley, and and people would come for the experience, I think. Wembley Stadium. Um, But no, I think uh, UK's out of it as a marginal chance of America, 
Um, marginal chance of Vegas. It would be brilliant to have it in the radio stadium in Vegas, but I think it's headed to the Middle East. And Saudi, from all the soundings, are certainly looking like the favourites at the moment. Yep, I tend to agree. Gareth, hopefully next time we're talking about this fight, it will be because a deal is fully done and we have a venue and a day. Good to talk to you, my friend. Always a pleasure. When we come back, the golden boy, Oscar De La Hoya. All right, Oscar De La Hoya is here, Boxing Hall of Famer, the founder and CEO of Golden Boy Promotions. On Saturday, Golden Boy will promote the welterweight showdown between Virgil Ortiz and Maurice Hooker. That's a fight you can see only on DAZN, and uh, Oscar's kind enough to join me here. Oscar, before before I get into the fight this weekend, I, I want to ask you about something we saw last weekend with Chuck Latito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada, where you know we once again had a judge that didn't really seem to see a fight that everybody else saw. And it mm. seems like this happens constantly. And I just wonder, you know, as a promoter and as a former high-level fighter, like, what's your reaction when things like that happen? And is there anything that can be done about it? Well, look, I'll tell you the truth of, of, of what my, my opinion is. And, um, you know, as a fighter and as a promoter, I've been involved in, uh, in, in many situations uh, as a fighter in the ring where I just, you know, leave the fight scratching my head or thinking, you know, what the hell did just happen? Uh, how did somebody score at 117, 111, you know, in, not in my favor or not in his favor, whatever. Um, it, it, it has to do with two things I, I came up with. Um, I don't think that judges are, are – are paid, you know, uh, 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 under the table or, you know, a promoter goes to his room and, you know, I'm going to pay you under the table and you better, you know, judge my, you know, give the advantage to my fighter. I don't think that happens. It's never happened to me. But what I do think happens is there's influence, you know, you're friends with that judge. Maybe you've done favors for that judge. Maybe uh, they like you. Maybe you treat them well. Maybe... And so when there's a close round, when there's a close round, well, what are you going to do? You're going to give it to that fighter, you know, that, that, that has the influence on you. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, so I, don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's purposely done. I, I, I just think that there's influence in this sport that, is, that can easily be manipulated. Is what, you know, it's so complicated to try and fix. I mean, you'd like to see major states have – commissions right where or, or have ranking systems where you have the best judges on the best fight that doesn't solve yeah. all the problems but it would at least solve one of them and and even if you don't have a ranking system oscar you know and i know some right. of the names of the best judges out there i mean like i, I sure. think steve i think steve weisfeld should be on every single show that's that's imaginable like i think he is one of yeah. if not the best judges in boxing yet you know, here we are again, you know, this week in Texas, and Steve Weisfeld's not anywhere to be found in part because these commissions use a lot of local judges there. I mean, is there right. any pressure you can exert as a promoter to at least try to get that type of thing happen where nationally you get <coughs> the best judges <coughs> on the biggest fights? Well, look, Chris, I mean, what, what doesn't help the cause is that guess who pays for the room and board? Guess who pays for you know, the, 
the per diems. Get guess who pays for, you know, the judges being here and housing them. The promoter does. So that doesn't help at all. If you, if you think about it, right? So, you know, I've never been involved in any type of like, you know, influence or this or you know, I talk to judge. It's never happened. I, I, it's just never happened. But you can imagine. I mean, imagine if if the promoters are paying for everything. And well, who are they going to listen to? Who are they going to favor? You know. So it's yes, it's not fair. Yes, it's wrong. Something has to be done and changed. Um, it's a huge problem. That I mean, I believe that the sanctioning bodies, all the promoters. Um, even managers and fighters have to get together and have some kind of dialogue and figure out a system or figure out some kind of, you know, figure out some kind of um, system where we can, where we have to fix this. I mean, basically we have to, we have to fix it now because it's, it's damaging the sport. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it just feels like we're going to be back having the same conversation six weeks or six months from now where, another scorecard goes bonkers. And I, and look, I, you were the fighter, not me, but I feel for these fighters that go through these long training camps only to have a judge, you know, screw them over in, in a yeah, way. And that's, I've, I've been, I've been screwed over many yeah, times as well. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, we, we don't, we don't need to revisit that part of uh, history there, yeah, but exactly. yeah, you're right. You're right. You have, um, fortunately this weekend, I don't know if the judge is going to be necessary in the main event. Uh, Virgil Ortiz, Mo Hooker, two big hitters, at welterweight. And I want to start with Virgil Ortiz and this being a step-up type of fight for him. It reminds me a lot of Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell, a true barometer type of fight for Ryan Garcia. This is a former world champion in hooker, still very much in his prime, great trainer behind him in Brian McIntyre. What was it about this fight that you felt made it the right one for Ortiz? Because you did have to go out and sign Maurice Hooker to make this fight happen. Right. right. No, look, I mean, Virgil Ortiz has been passing every single test. Um, you know, we've been stepping him up, um, you know, not slowly and surely, but he's been taking some nice, some nice leaps uh, um, and bounds uh, towards, towards that championship level, meaning his, I mean, obviously a fighter is always as good as he, is always as good as his last fight, but Virgil keeps on passing those tests with flying colors. And so we thought about uh, Maurice Hooker because he has the style to give Virgil problems. He has the style to, to, uh, to confuse Virgil. He's never faced Maurice's style. He's very slick. He's fast. He has, uh, he has uh, experience. Uh, his ring generalship is, uh, is on point. Um, so I think that uh, I think this fight here can be a, a, a major step in Virgil's career. And if he wins, we move him on to the championship level. So that's exactly what we're hoping for. You guys have matched him, I think, really well over the last couple of years in terms of showing him different things. You showed him Mauricio Herrera, a guy that had never been stopped. And he went out there and stopped right. him in the third yeah. round or Antonio Orozco, a very good puncher, somebody that's pretty accurate right. with his shots. He stopped him. In the sixth round, even Brad Solomon, a mover, somebody he had to track down in the ring, he stopped yeah. him in that fight as well. What is it about Hooker? Is that is there a new dimension to Hooker that that Ortiz is going to see for the first time? Well, I, th- I think uh, I think Maurice's uh, uh, his his length, his his uh, his reach. He's a tall fighter. I, I didn't know he was taller than Virgil. Um, that can present problems. And just the fact that he's slick, he can think up in the ring. He's not just a brawler. He can box, but he has power. 
So, you know, the fact that he has um, um, Crawford's corner for the first time um, is going to be, you know, psychologically is going to be a little bit going to play a factor in, in, in this fight Saturday night. So you take all those variables, you take all, in, all that into consideration, and it's, it's a whole new look for Virgil. And that's exactly what we want to present is make sure that he, uh, he's aware that, you know, there's all these styles that he has to get through in order to get to the top. So if he beats uh, uh, Maurice uh, Hooker uh, uh, impressively, I think, uh, I think sky's the limit for Virgil. I think I can honestly say that he's ready for any top guy uh, in the world. Are there any unknowns for you with Virgil Ortiz at this point? I mean, he's been through 16 professional fights. He's picked up 16 knockouts. Are there things about him that you still need to learn uh, in the ring? Well, I mean, the most important one is uh, when he gets hit, uh, how is he going to react? You know, I think that's the most important. I mean, when you have a fighter who is a complete fighter like Virgil, um, that he has power, he has speed, he has ring generalship, he can think in the ring, he's very smart, um, he's patient, but he's explosive. And the final factor uh, um, and that tops it all off is, does he have a chin? And that's, you know, I mean, hopefully we won't find out Saturday night, but uh, that's the million-dollar question. What was the first time you got hit? You know, it, as a professional fighter, you took your first real shots. Um, I actually got dropped, a flash knockdown with uh, Valenzuela, I believe it was. might have been my fourth or fifth fight. It was in Arizona. He hit me with a left hook. I went down. It was a flash knockdown. I wasn't hurt. Um, I strongly feel that I have a chin, but there's fighters that get hit and their legs just turn into jello. So that's what we have to find out Saturday night or hopefully never uh, with Virgil is that, uh, you know, when he gets hit, how is he going to react? You know, we we can't look past Maury Sucker at all because he's very good. Only lost to Jose Ramirez. Right. But, you know, there is Terrence Crawford out there, and that conversation has been ongoing amongst media types like myself there with uh, Ortiz and Crawford. Do you yeah. believe that fight is realistic? I mean, it's a nice thing to think about, and I guess on paper Crawford doesn't have a lot going on this year. Ortiz yeah. wants it sometime this year. But you've talked to top rank. You know Terrence Crawford a little bit. I mean, how realistic is it? that we could see Ortiz and Crawford fight before the end of the year? It's very real. Uh, talking to Bob Arum, having lunch with him over, uh, at his home in Beverly Hills, um, uh, we were talking about uh, fights that we can make together. Look, one thing about me and Bob is that we're not afraid to make fights happen, uh, fights that the fans want to see. And uh, we obviously talked about uh, uh, Virgil and Crawford. We talked about uh, Ryan Garcia. Uh, uh, versus Teofimo. Um, we talked about um, uh, uh, Mungia versus his, uh, his rising star in the middleweight division. I believe he's from uh, Puerto Rico or New York, uh, who's making some noise. So there's, there's many possibilities and many fights that we can make. And the one thing is that we're not afraid to make them. We want to make them because those are the fights that, that, that fans deserve to watch. Do you think Crawford wants a fight like that? Um, look, I, I think look, if I was in Crawford's position, I would say, well, what has he accomplished or who is he, you know, who has he beaten? Um, you know, but look, if nobody wants to fight you now and we're, we're presenting to you, a, 
a rising star in, in Virgil Ortiz, why not take the fight? It's going to be a great fight. You know, I mean, th that's my attitude as a promoter. I mean, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right, but I always think as a fighter first. If you were Terrence Crawford, would you take on Virgil Ortiz? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, you're, you're kind of, you're not really offering much hope that if you're, you know, you both, you and Terrence Crawford, both great uh, fighters. I don't know if he'd. Uh... Reverse psychology, my friend. Reverse psychology. <laughs> um. Let me ask you about just a couple other things. Uh, Ryan Garcia, you mentioned, we're all kind of waiting to see what's next for Ryan. He was with us on the DAZN broadcast a couple of weeks ago for Canelo's fight. Uh, yeah. He didn't sound all that optimistic that a deal was coming anytime soon. I know that Javier Fortuna's name has been tossed out there as a potential opponent. Where are mm. we with Ryan Garcia? Yeah, well, we sat down with his manager. Um, we talked some, uh, we had a really, really good dialogue. Um, a, a plan that he really loves. He's going to present it to Ryan. We're going to sit down with Ryan next week. Um, it's a very ambitious plan, which I feel that uh, will will excite uh, Ryan. Um, I, I think it's the type of plan that uh, that he deserves uh, in his career. Look, given the fact that that Ryan is in a very unique position, I mean, having to be, you know, one of the most popular fighters uh, today without a world title is 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 very unique. And uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't amaze me that every world champion out there is calling him out without a world title. So, you know, it's, you, you, have to, you, have to, you have to know how to play those cards, you know. Um, you have to be very careful in how you present uh, the next fight to him or the next package deal. Um, I, strongly feel, I strongly feel that, um, that uh, you know, Ryan is on the verge of breaking through and becoming a... Uh, a, a legend, a super fighter. Uh, you know, obviously he has to beat these world champions, but but we have that we have that plan for him. So next week we'll sit down and uh, hopefully we can agree to uh, to uh, a, a fight package for him that excites him. How challenging do the economics get for you with Ryan? Because you know it was reported that Devin Haney will make three million for his next fight. Devin Haney's an excellent fighter, but doesn't bring the type of right. box office appeal that right. Ryan Garcia brings. How challenging have the economics right. been as you've been negotiating with Ryan? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Devin Haney's promoter, but obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's absurd to, to think that, you know, Devin Haney's worth that much, um, you know, but you talk about a fighter like Ryan Garcia who is worth a lot of money. We have to be very creative with him. Um, we have to, come up with different types of formulas to make him happy. And, um, you know, I strongly feel that um, next week we have a, 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 a nice game plan for him that's going to make him happy and get him back in the ring. Before I let you go, I keep hearing about you, Oscar. I keep hearing when you're coming back, how you're coming back, who you're coming back against. I keep hearing about Triller and you fighting on Triller at some <laughs> point in the next couple of months. I know you were on that campus somewhat recently. I know you ran into Teofimo Lopez recently. I mean, where are we with your own uh, attempts to resume your career? Yeah, look, I've been I've been actually training for quite a while now. And um, I actually sparred uh, the other day. And Chris, I didn't know I was that good. I didn't know I was that good. I, I had forgotten how good I was. And, um, you know, so there's something there. Um, I want to keep sparring. I want to keep uh, training, make sure my body holds up. Uh, but we'll see. Look, I'm right now at probably 
maybe uh, 168, I want to say. I want to come down to 160, see how I feel. Uh, and then we'll take it from there. But look, one thing for sure is that Mike Tyson, he inspired the hell out of me. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So you don't have a timeline yet for when you want to return? No, I don't actually. Um, I'll just have to listen to my body. But, um, you know, one thing, one thing that, you know, struck me was um, our President Biden mentioned that America is going to open up uh, officially July 4th. Mm. Maybe, uh, maybe July 4th can, uh, can be the weekend. We'll see. You, you were pushing for that last year. You, you know, initially was. wanted to get Ryan on July 4th. It, you seem to have it, a thing for that uh, holiday. It's a great date. I mean, look, we started, uh, we, we continued the tradition with Cinco de Mayo and September 16th. And why not, uh, why not America's birthday, uh, July 4th? Is there an opponent you have in mind? No, 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 there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing. There's, everything's, uh, everything's not even preliminary. I, we mm-hmm. haven't even thought about anything. Um, I just want to make sure that my body holds up and my body's in, in good shape. So then from, we'll take it from there. Is there anybody in your past history that you would like another go at? Well, I mean, we all we all know that uh, we all know that uh, a Mayweather De La Hoya fight would be uh, would be massive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it might even be bigger than what it would have been a year after you guys fought. Because yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, unfortunately, time does lead to some big results when it comes to either streaming services or pay-per-view buys, man. It just does, sadly. Uh, Oscar, good to talk to you as always. Virgil Ortiz, Maurice Hooker, big fight uh, this weekend. I know you'll be ringside for it. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Chris. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.